are stepping away from our study about the life of Abraham to think about the Lord's Supper today and think about the reason that we have to celebrate. You know, there's a, a, a mixture in the life of a Christian. Sometimes a tension. Paul spoke of this tension in the book of 1 Thessalonians where he said, We grieve, but we grieve with hope. So there are times where grief and hope will intermingle in the life of a Christian. And when we come to celebrate communion, we experience this tension of the, the seriousness, the, the soberness of why we celebrate. But we also come with joy because we celebrate. It's been said that baptism in many ways is like the marriage ceremony. But communion is like the anniversary. So if you are married, I hope that you don't approach your anniversary with a sense of mourning. That's not good. I hope you approach your anniversary with a sense of celebration. Because as we come to communion this morning, I want us to be thinking about the celebration of reconciliation. And that's why we are reading chapter 5, verses 16 through 21 in 2 Corinthians. Paul writes this. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. May the Lord be glorified in the reading and the hearing of his word this morning. We are made with an innate sense to celebrate. We really are. Humanity loves to celebrate things. I mean, that's why when you look at the seven festivals that the Jews celebrated from the Old Testament, the common theme through all of them is celebration. Even when you come to the day of Yom Kippur, and it's a time of serious mourning and repentance, it concludes with what? A celebration. Getting together and to celebrate. We enjoy that. We get together to celebrate birthdays, to celebrate Christmas, to celebrate New Year's. You recognize that now on the calendar, there is a reason to celebrate every day. For example, did you know that today, July 31st, is National Avocado Day? Celebrate. Go have some guacamole. Let your hair down. It's National Avocado Day. A reason to celebrate. 
So as Christians, when we come to celebrate communion, we have reason to rejoice and to celebrate the reconciliation that God has brought about. Reconciliation is in the spotlight in verses 6 through 21 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, before we start walking through this text, allow me to frame it a little bit for you so you'll understand what has brought us to this point where Paul's talking about reconciliation. Paul wrote this letter to defend his ministry. There were those who had showed up at Corinth that began undermining Paul's apostolic authority. They were saying, yeah, yeah, Paul is smart, there's no doubt, but, but have, you ever, have you ever heard him preach? Because let me tell you, when Paul's preaching, you're going to hear a whole lot of help him Jesus. Because he ain't that great a preacher. Now, Paul himself even admitted this. He said, I'm not coming with, with flowery words and great rhetoric. He said, I come to you in the power of the Spirit. So Paul is writing this letter partly to defend his apostolic authority. And one of the truths that Paul keeps coming back to is his authority is not based on his ability or his lack thereof. His authority is based on the gospel. He says, that's why I have authority. That's why there is power in my ministry. It's because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, in fact, this great, glorious gospel has been entrusted to clay pots. Jars of clay. That, that's uh, these bodies. That's us. We're jars of clay. In the morning when you get up, and your bones creak and your backs pop, that's your jar getting another little crack in it. We're flesh and blood, weak, but the gospel's strong. That's why Paul says, I didn't come to you with supposedly great authority and great, uh, great oratory. I came to you in the power of the Spirit. In fact, Paul goes on to say, starting at the beginning of verse of chapter 5, he said, this body's simply a tent. It's temporary, and one day this tent will be folded. And on that day, we will have in us a new body. Paul calls it a home, built for us in the heavens, eternal. So he's saying this, this fleshly body is weak and frail. The gospel is strong, and the gospel promises us a new body, a resurrected body. But as Paul writes about that truth, he comes face to face with this reality. One day, when the tents are all folded, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. All of us. And so Paul now comes to this issue of how can we be ready for that day when we stand before God? That's why Paul preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because we need to be reconciled to God now, there are those who would argue any speech of speaking of re reconciliation with God is superfluous. We don't need to be reconciled to God, they would say. God is love, and God loves us all. You don't have to be reconciled to God. You're okay just the way you are. I'm okay. You're okay. We're all okay. Okay? But if you think about it, there's something very troubling there. Because one, on a deep down level, we know that everything's not all right between us and God. Furthermore, if you want to think about that on just a pure philosophical level, then you come face to face with the issue of justice. 
If everyone is right with God automatically, where is their justice for wrongs that are done? You see, to simply preach of universalism leaves something unsatisfying in our souls. But then we are left with the question, how can we be reconciled to God? In fact, I believe that is that very question that lies underneath the anger and the angst that pervades our society. We know there is something wrong. We know that everything's not all right, but we just don't know how it can be fixed. That's the glorious good news of the gospel. What we could not do, God has done. When there was this large gulf between us and God, this large large gulf ontologically because God is all-powerful and we are not. He is all-knowing and we are not. We were separated from him. When you come to the holiness gap, we fall, fall short of the holiness of God. And it is if God is standing on one side of the Pacific and we are on the other and we cannot get to him. But God in his mercy reached out to us. He spanned the gap through Jesus Christ. He reached out to us to initiate and to bring about reconciliation. That's what Paul talks about in verse 18 when he says, all this is from God. Now stop for a moment and ask yourself, what is the this? That's a reference back to verse 17, the new creation. The old has gone. In Christ we are new. God has done this. And that is incredibly satisfying because it means God saw our greatest need and he acted to bring it about. He initiated that. Ernest Hemingway wrote a short story entitled The Capital of the World. It's set in Spain. It's a story of a father and his son Paco. Paco was an extremely popular name in Spain at that time. And Paco wanted to be a matador more than anything. His father woke up one morning and note Paco was gone. The father was terrified about what would become of Paco. So he went down to the newspaper and he put, took out an ad. And he said in this ad, Paco, meet me tomorrow at noon in front of the Madrid newspaper office. All is forgiven. I love you. The next day the father showed up in front of the newspaper office at noon to find that there were 800 Pacos waiting to see their dad. We have a hunger to be reconciled to the Heavenly Father. And this morning we celebrate because God initiated reconciliation. Celebrate that. God reached out to us. And notice it says there in verse 18, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. The work was God's work, not our work in saying we have to be good enough or we have to earn it. But it was God's work reconciling us to himself. Now, out of this truth in verse 18, that God has brought about reconciliation, we start by celebrating there. God loved us enough to span the gap between us and him that we might be reconciled by grace through faith. Amen? All right, you got to work with me here. All right. Now, there are four other things that we're going to celebrate that flow out of that one truth. Here's the first. We can celebrate because the gospel has given us a new vision, a new outlook on life. Look at verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. 
Now, keep in mind, Paul is writing because he had been judged according to worldly standards. He didn't measure up to what they felt like an apostle should be. So now Paul is saying, because Christ has died and risen from the dead, we don't judge people according to the flesh anymore. Now, that phrase, according to the flesh, means by worldly standards. We live in a world that loves to judge. And you know how the world judges? What do you look like? How attractive are you? How wealthy are you? Do you have any power? Do you have anything that you can do for me? And the world begins making its judgments on who is valuable and who is not. And Paul says, we don't regard anyone according to standards of the world. He said, in fact, we were so bad, we judged Jesus by worldly standards. What he is saying is that they looked and Paul himself said the Messiah could not be from Nazareth. Jesus could not be the Messiah. Jesus was powerless. He had no political power. Jesus was penniless. He had no money. He was homeless. Jesus was born and came from the wrong side of the tracks. There is no way he could be the Messiah according to worldly judgments. And then the grace of God got a hold of Paul and his eyes were open to see that, yes, Jesus Christ was powerless on this earth, but nevertheless, the government sat upon his shoulders. That Jesus Christ was not only from the wrong side of the tracks, he owned the tracks. That Jesus Christ was indeed the Messiah who dwelt among the homeless and the powerful to tell all that the only way they could have a home in heaven was by grace of God through his death and resurrection. Because of Jesus, we see others differently. The gospel opens our eyes to this incredible reality. We don't judge according to worldly standards. 1988, a movie came out entitled They Live. Now, let me tell you, don't run out and find this on streaming services. It is in no way ever going to be confused with Citizen Kane. This movie, though, had an interesting premise. A construction worker unearthed a pair of glasses. And when he put them on, he was able to see things as they really were. And he discovered something. Spoiler alert. There were aliens living among us. And the glasses allowed him to see who was an alien and who wasn't. He saw things as they were. The gospel opens our eyes to see things how they are. So as believers, we of all people can stand in the world and say, we don't judge based upon race, upon on gender. We don't judge based upon wealth. We judge based upon this. We are all sinners in the need of grace. That's how we look at others. That when we encounter that person who's being a jerk at Walmart, we can say, you know what? He's a sinner saved by grace. I'm a sinner saved by grace. God, give us grace. That we can look at that one that we have trouble loving and we can say, God, he is a sinner. She is a sinner in the need of grace like I am in the need of grace. We see others differently and we celebrate that because that is an incredible gift of God to recognize that we all stand level at the foot of the cross. We celebrate not only because we have a new vision, but because we have a new start. Look at verse 17. I love this verse. Therefore, here's the conclusion. If anyone, you, me, anyone is in Christ, that is saved, has placed their faith in Jesus Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. 
You see, Jesus Christ doesn't come just to be an addition to your life. It's not like a house and you just add Jesus to it. He comes to tear down the old structure and build something new. He comes in fulfillment of what was preached in the Old Testament, that he will usher in the new age, the age of the kingdom of God. And church, we who have had faith in him are the ones that understand that. When he says the old has passed away, it's emphatic, done. When he says the new has come, it's a verb tense that says it has started and is continuing. You see, when we are saved, our sins are forgiven and forgotten. Cast into the sea, thrown into the wind as far as the east is from the west, not to be held against us on the day of judgment. You understand that, Christian? Sometimes we get this image that on the day of judgment, we're going to stand before God and he's going to open the books and he says, oh, Spring break, 1987. You know what God's going to see, believer, when he opens the books? He's going to see the righteousness of Jesus Christ applied to your account. And he's going to say, what sin? You've been forgiven. You've been forgiven. And not, not a thing is held against you. Come in to the glory I've made for you. All because of Jesus. You are a new creation. And that is the song that should reverberate in our mouths. That is the, the beat that should drive our lives. Because the hope we're looking for, the reconciliation we need, is found in Jesus Christ by his grace. So not only do we celebrate a new vision, not only do we celebrate new creation, we celebrate a new purpose. Look now, if you will, at verses 18 through 20. Now, we've already touched on verse 18. But notice that all this is from God. God reconciled to himself. And look at the very last phrase of verse 18. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Purpose. Now, Paul goes into verse 19 to clarify that the ministry of reconciliation is not some magical incantation that we do that causes somebody to be saved. He says, no, the ministry of reconciliation, that is, Christ God, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting trespasses against them, is the message entrusted to us. We have purpose. That's glorious good news. Because what that means is this. No matter what stage you are in life, believer, you have a purpose that is greater than your job. No matter where you are, if you're just beginning your career, you have a purpose that goes beyond that career. And if you are at the point of retirement, hear me clearly, you never retire from serving God. Never. Because sometimes when a person approaches retirement, they wonder, well, what am I going to do? I need to do something. Can I tell you what you're going to do? You're going to continue serving God and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're just changing gears. Purpose. And God works within us, giving us this gift. Do you recognize that if you took a hundred grand pianos and you set them side by side and you had one tuning fork and you tuned all those pianos to that one tuning fork, all the pianos would then be in harmony to that one fork? So God has worked in the heart of every believer so that we resonate with that one message. You can be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And that gives us new Hope, which is the final thing we celebrate. Notice in verses 20 through 21, he says we are ambassadors for Christ. We represent Christ. How do we do this? God makes his appeal through us. So you see, when you get antsy about this idea of sharing the gospel, that means you're relying on yourself. 
Because it's God that works through us. It is the power of the Spirit. And if we will step out in faith and share, God will do amazing things. When I was in seminary working on my master's degree, I had a personal evangelism class where the professor gave us an assignment to make our own track. Now, this was before, you know, the World Wide Web was just starting, computers weren't in, so we had to make a literal track. Now, ever since kindergarten, I have struggled with paper and scissors. I'm still working with this. And with my grandkids, I still practice now. So I tried my best to make this track, but when I finished, let me tell you, it was ugly. The pages didn't line up. It was a track you could open. It was like four or five pages. The pages didn't match. They were of different sizes. But I was at the point of, it's done. I'm turning it in. I got it back the two or three class sessions later and had gotten an A on it. And the professor had written this, very ingenious to make the pages different sizes to draw attention to them. <laughs> yes, it was. We may make mistakes in sharing, but God is at work. We may get tongue-tied in our words, but God is at work. Trust Him. We are His ambassadors sharing the glorious hope. The hope of what? That He, God, made Jesus, who was sinless, our sin. So that you and I, could become the righteousness of God. And therein is hope. I love the words, the chorus of that old hymn, What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And this morning as we come, I ask you to come with a heart of celebration. As you partake of the bread, believer, celebrate that God initiated this. As you partake of the cup, celebrate that God took him who knew no sin and made him sin for your behalf. And thank him. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me right now. Father, prepare our hearts this morning that we might truly celebrate. We come this morning having no other plea but that Jesus' blood was shed for me. That's it, oh God. We come to this table in Jesus, glorifying you, coming, O oh Lord, with the realization that it's not our works that have saved us, but it is your work. And we glory in that, oh God. Thank you, Father, for being so rich in love. Thank you for being so rich in mercy and compassion. Be glorified this morning, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.